We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Secret gold vaults in Asia, offshore bank accounts in tax havens, investing in timber plantations in Central America, obtaining a second passport, speaking multiple languages, and first-class travel around the world excite you, then you must pick up a copy of my brand new book, Expat Secrets, on Amazon today. Just go to expatsecretsbook.com. That's expatsecretsbook.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest is actually a returning guest. My very close friend and mentor, Joel Nagel, joined us on episode 63 to talk about offshore asset protection. If you have not heard that episode, I highly recommend listening to it. Honestly, it's fantastic. Today, he is here to go in-depth with us about citizenship by investment and residency by investment programs and the options that are available to the globally-minded individual. He is arguably one of the most famous and well-respected lawyers in this space on the planet and has helped hundreds of clients from all over the globe to get second residency and a second passport abroad. Please welcome to the show, Joel Nagel. Joel, how are you doing? Good. Thanks, Mikhail. It's really good to be here with you again. My pleasure. So today, Joel, um, I really want to talk to you about citizenship by investment. Uh, last time I had you on the show, we talked really in depth about asset protection. And today we're going to get a little bit more niche down. And I want to talk to you about citizenship by investment. And I'm going to shorten it to CBI today because I've got so many questions here about citizenship by investment that my listeners are going to get sick of me saying those words over and over again. So straight off the bat, what is CBI? What is citizenship by investment? Well, you know, there are multiple ways that people acquire citizenship in a country other than their birth. And citizenship by investment is, some people think it's a new concept. Actually, it's, it's really quite an old concept. If, if you go and have a quick look at the book of Acts and the New Testament of the Bible, you'll find a, a scene where the Apostle Paul is, is about to be whipped and uh, he asked the uh, Roman soldier if it's legal to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't faced a trial. And the, the Roman soldier um, exclaims, you're a Roman citizen? And he says, yes, I am. Says, How are you a Roman citizen? He s explains that he was born in a Roman province. And the Roman citizen or the Roman soldier uh, comes back and says, oh, I had to pay a lot of money to get my Roman citizenship. So, I mean, there you have an example 2,000 years ago where um, for a variety of reasons, people feel it's important to get citizenship in a country other than their own. I like to tell people that, you know, as an asset protection lawyer, the most important asset you have to protect is yourself. And uh, citizenship by investment is one way to do that. Now, the modern citizenship by investment programs have, have been around oh, 25 years or so. Even before that, virtually every country has some kind of program. 
It just depends what they call it. U.S., for example, has EB-5 or EB-2. And, and, and what all of these programs have in common is it dramatically shortens the time that it takes to go through the residency process and become a citizen. Most countries, it takes anywhere from three to 12 years to move there, become a resident, and then eventually apply for citizenship. And what citizenship by investment does is it eliminates that, that waiting period. So you still have to jump through some hoops and hurdles. You still have to undergo a background check to make sure you're the kind of person that the country wants. You're not you know, some nefarious character involved in, 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 in bad conduct. Um, and some <clears throat> jurisdictions also require that you be in good health um, because they don't want people to move to their country that have serious communicable uh, uh, health problems or things that will overwhelm their health system. So the citizenship by investment programs were really set up to encourage investment uh, by wealthier people who could come to the country and spend part time or full time in that country, um, help you know acquire nice properties, um, maybe help start businesses. Some citizenship by investment programs require you to invest in a, a new company or an existing company. So it's all about job creation. It's all about um, helping the the local economy, and in, in exchange for you doing that, you know the country's willing to give you a, a a pretty fast shortcut from when you apply to when you get your citizenship. And a lot of economic citizenship programs, sort of the the goal for most people is to get their citizenship in under one year. If you get it in under one year, that's a classic citizenship by investment program. Um, that makes sense. So what is the investment part usually? Um, I've seen different things come up when they talk about investment. Maybe you can talk to me about that for a little bit. Sure, sure, I can. It's a, it's a spectrum that's quite, quite large. Um, first, I'll say that in some countries, it's a, just an outright payment. You're literally writing a check to the government and you're getting in return a passport. You know, you can think of it, you can boil it down to, to that, um, you know, to that level. In <clears throat> most countries, you uh, either, like I said, in, invest in property or you invest in a business and the amount can be as low as $100,000. Um, and you have countries like Austria, for example, where the investment amount is 10 million euros. So you have a very, very large spectrum um, and the other issue has to do with how quickly you get either residence or citizenship. The, re the residence by investment programs generally tend to be a lot lower. Um, and what that means is you make an investment, you get automatic residence or sometimes called permanent residence. In U.S. terms, it would be the equivalent of a green card. So you, you go through a fast track to get to that stage. But then from there on, you just go into the normal queue and it can take, you know, however long it takes. Most uh, programs, it takes five years to go from residence to citizenship. But a lot of the investment programs eliminate the need for you to, to live there full time or spend full time there. That's sort of the quid pro quo with the residence part. And uh, a lot of people like the, um, the residence by investments. They don't really need a passport. They just want to be able to 
sort of have a plan B or live somewhere. So a lot of people are interested in visas um, in Europe because of the Schengen concept, whereby you can live and work and travel freely in any of the 27 countries in in Europe. So, for example, Portugal has a very popular um, residence by investment that leads to citizenship after five years. Um, the, the golden visa in Portugal is based on you investing a sum. The standard amount is 500,000 euros, but in some cases, if you're in uh, less developed parts of the country, it can be as low as 280,000 um, euros. Other countries like Greece and Malta and Cyprus, they all have these residence by investment programs that essentially eliminate the need for you to live there. So you can live there if you want. If you don't want to live there, you don't have to. You invest uh, a sum of money. They're all fairly compatible or fairly similar. They range from about $250,000 to $500,000. And then after you make the investment, you're in the queue and you wait five years like everyone else. So, you know, that's, that's one avenue. Then you've got the direct programs where you invest an amount and you go straight to citizenship. You completely bypass the time requirements uh, for residency. And again, the, the, it's, it's sort of, there's sort of an inverse relationship between the cost and the, and the value of the passport. Passports are valued based on how many countries you can travel to visa-free. So if you can travel to you know, 150 plus countries, that's a really top-notch passport. If you can, you know, travel to 10 countries, well, you know, then you have a Iraqi passport and it's really not worth anything. So, you know, it's, it's, it really depends on where you want to be in that spectrum, how quickly you want it. Um, for the good um, sort of fast track programs like <clears throat> the US EB2, EB5, the Malta program in Europe, the Cyprus program in Europe, um, you know, you're, you're looking at a million plus dollar investment. So these aren't for everyone. They're not, they're not supposed to be for everyone. As I mentioned, the Austrian uh, example is 10 million uh, euros. And, you know, you, you have to create jobs and really make a meaningful contribution to the country to, to qualify. Some of the, the Caribbean countries, I mean, uh, Nevis St. Kitts, for example, is one of the pioneers of the Citizenship by Investment Program invest a couple hundred thousand dollars and you can be a citizen in, you know, in, in four to six months. So it's a, it's fast track. It's relatively inexpensive and it's a decent passport. You can travel to about 120 countries around the world without a visa. So, you know, that's a quick overview of, of the, the cost structure. Whenever somebody comes to me and says, how much does it cost? I basically say, you know, it's completely up to you. How, what, how, how quickly do you want it? How, what's your budget? You know, are there regions of the world you want to live in? If you tell me you want to live in Asia, well, then let's look at pro programs like Malaysia and Thailand and Korea, some of the, the programs over there. Uh, if you want to be in Europe, you know, I mentioned some of the, the programs in addition to um, Portugal and Cyprus and Malta. You have Greece, you have the Netherlands. There's really quite a number of, of Belgium. There's really quite a number of, of programs in Europe that, that you can look at for um, either the residence by investment 
or the, the direct citizenship by investment. So when we say investment, is that investment in the passport or is that an investment and you get the passport as a byproduct? Well, it's a great question. And that uh, the answer to that is, is very blurred and it depends on which jurisdiction you're talking about. In Malta, for example, the investment that you make is really a contribution to the, it's essentially a sovereign fund where they collect the money. It's uh, about, it's, it's right now, it's based on euros, so it's a little bit less than a million dollars. It's gotten a, a bit cheaper as the dollar has strengthened. Uh, but, you know, when you're all said and done, you'll spend 750,000 euros, and that money just goes, you know, to the government of Malta, and you're never going to see it again. So it's, it's, it's not really correct to, to use the term investment, but that's the term that's used in these programs, citizenship by investment. In other countries, uh, again, I'll, I'll just stay with Europe for a moment. Cyprus, for example, you have to invest in, there's a variety of ways you can do it, but a 2 million euro investment, and that's truly an investment. You can go buy a 2 million euro piece of property on the beach um, and, you know, in a couple of years after you have your, your, um, well, you get your, you get your passport in Cyprus right away. Actually, it's one of the fastest countries you can, you can have a citizenship in, in six months in Cyprus, but you have to hold the property for a number of years. But at the end of that holding period, to the extent that you want to go and sell it to, to somebody, you know, you will recapture your money. And if you buy a good piece of property, you know, potentially you'll make money. So in, in, in a country like that, it's a true investment. Austria, it's a true investment. You know, you set up, you can set up your own company or you can invest in an existing company, invest that money. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's there hopefully for you to make money with your investment. Uh, go, jumping back to a country like Nevis St. Kitts, they have both. You can make a one-time contribution to something called the Sugar Fund which is a fund to help displaced workers um, that were, you know, displaced through automation and through the changing economy. <clears throat> you make that payment, you're done. Or you can invest roughly twice that. Uh, it's, it's about $250,000 for the, for the uh, contribution, or you invest $450,000 in real estate. You, you can take your pick and, and, uh, for some reasons, people will do one. Some people, reasons people would do the other. Um, so you really have both of those concepts under the single umbrella uh, called citizenship by investment. Well, and with the real estate, I've heard that a lot of times the real estate is not just any property. Like it has to be government approved. You can't just go out there and buy any property you want. They, they have special zones or special areas. But I guess this is dependent on the country itself. Yes, it's, it's, it's very dependent on the country itself. Um, some countries will require it to be new build, new construction. Um, if you go back to, we were talking a moment ago about Portugal, for example, the way they deal with that issue is they change the investment amount depending on the area. So the standard investment is 500,000 euros, but if you're outside the main um, areas like Lisbon and the Algarve, it can drop 20% to 400,000. Then if it's got a historic, uh, type of property that's more than, I think it's more than 50 years old, maybe it's 60, I can't remember, 
then you know it can drop to 350,000 and if you bundle them together so you're dealing with a historic property in a in a lowly less developed area it can drop to 280,000 so they sort of place the investment parameters around what they're trying to accomplish and they recognize the fact that somebody won't invest as much in one of these sort of outlying areas as they will in in a in the capital like Lisbon. Um, other countries, it again, it has to be new construction, it has to be approved by the government in advance. I'll give you a list here: twenty projects you can invest in. Um, and other countries, no, it's just the dollar amount um, that you have to show that you've invested. So again, it's very country specific. It's great that we can talk about citizenship by investment in in a generic way and touch on the whole industry. But at the end of the day, you get down when you get down into the minutiae, every country has different rules, regulations, amounts, timing. Uh, that's why it's really important. When, when we work with a client, we sort of start at the end. W- what's your main goal and objective? Uh, what's your time frame? And then we sort of work backwards, try to come up with the countries that, that fit the client's criteria. In some cases, the client is only interested in one country. They might come and say, I love Portugal. I want to become a resident of Portugal. Okay, great. We'll, we'll help you with that. Other times it's, look, I, I would really like to get a second passport. My time frame is two years. My budget's, you know, a million dollars, whatever it is. And, and then we'll try to lay out some options that fit the criteria of the client. Well, I think that's really interesting because straight off the bat, when I talk to some people about this, they're like, they, they can't get their head around you know, spending a million dollars or like a lot of people think that they are just buying a booklet. And a lot of times, like you just mentioned, you can be buying a house and then you're getting the the passport secondary. I want to get into kind of the reasons why the countries want to do this though. Like talk to me a little bit about why the countries want to offer a program like CBI. Sure. I mean, the, the biggest reason is economic development and um, the citizenship by investment. I mean, first of all, let's go back to the perspective of the investor for a moment. You know, if you're going to invest in a country, let's say, um, build a factory, buy a nice piece of real estate, do something that's going to permanently anchor you or in some way tie you to that country, you want to make sure that you have all the rights and you know, and all the protections of the law. And a lot of countries differentiate between a local, a national, and a foreigner. And, you know, if if you're going to go and spend a lot of money in a country, you would like to have the, the protections of the law. So I think some of these programs started from the perspective of trying to assure foreign investors that if invested in their country, that they would be protected under the law the same way as a national. And what better way to prove that than to make the person national if they want to become a national? So that, I think, is one of the, the seeds or origins of it. From the country's perspective, you know, everybody's trying to get a little edge over everybody else. Um, and you know, why would you invest in one country versus another? Well, maybe it's lifestyle, maybe just want to be on some tropical island in the Caribbean or the Mediterranean, that's, that's great. But maybe you, maybe you have a factory that you could set up anywhere, or you could set it up in a low-cost 
um, jurisdiction, whether it's in Southeast Asia or the Caribbean. And now all of a sudden you're looking and you're going back to these protections. How am I going to be protected? What are the tax ramifications going to be? You, you look at the, you, you look at everything together and then you say, well, I would really would like to protect my investment. And if, if that's the carrot that sort of gets the investor over the top, right? I mean, I, I see now in the, in the countries that have the best programs, people don't really ask questions anymore about the return on investment, right? I mean, I just told you that in Malta, you just write the check, you get nothing back. So there must be a lot of perceived value. In other countries, you know, in Cyprus, um, you can invest in a 2 million euro property. Well, you know, the, the delta between what it costs to buy a 2 million euro property and what you actually get from that property as a return on investment, it's okay. It might be two or three or four or 5% on a typical uh, investment in real estate, but it's not great. You know, there's probably other things that you could do with your money that you would get a better return. So having the citizenship by investment is a carrot that attracts the foreign investor. It can allow the, um, the development to happen at a much lower cost of capital. Going to Portugal, for example, again, there are lots of people offering um, the the golden uh, visa uh, pro- projects that have virtually no return on investment. So why would somebody invest in that? Well, because they're trying to get their their residence or their passport. And but from the other side, from the country's perspective, it can attract capital in at, at a much lower cost. So. In all the countries that have good citizenship by investment programs right now, if the passports are sought after, you go to those countries and you notice one thing in common in all of them. Wow, this place is booming. So there's a direct correlation between the uh, citizenship by investment program and what's happening. Yeah, I just wrote an article for Escape Artist about Cyprus, and it's clear that um, there's a direct correlation between these type of citizenship by investment programs and the overall economic health and development of the country. So Cyprus's program limits the number of investors each year to 700. Uh, the minimum investment <clears throat> per person is 2 million euros. So if you do that math, that's 1.4 billion uh, euros invested into the country each year. But the statistics that the government puts together shows that the average investor invests more than 2 million euros. 2 million is the minimum. But people get there and they decide they like this, that, or the other property better. Next thing they, they do is they invest 3 or 4 million. Then they hire people to work for their property. Then they go out and buy a, you know, a Lamborghini or a Bentley. And then they start visiting nice restaurants. And you, you can see the economic impact that that happens and then next year you're going to do the same thing again and next year you're going to do the same thing again portugal again going back to when they launched their golden visa program a few years ago it was immediately inundated by chinese investors who were interested in accessing europe through the the Schengen concept we talked about before and in most cases you know they just went out and bought a property for 500,000 euros and uh, the first year, there were over 3,000 
people that, that applied for that program. So if you look all of a sudden, you read about Portugal's making, you know, turning into this economic, you know, tiger of Europe. Well, what, where did that come from? It came from this type of residence that it leads to citizenship by investment program. And, you know, Neva St. Kitts, again, in the Caribbean has had a lot of uh, success with it. A lot of the other Caribbean countries are trying to copy Nevis, and obviously they're new to the game. Maybe their passport's not as good, so they have to come in at lower amounts. Uh, we're seeing the same thing in southeastern Europe, where countries like Moldova, Montenegro are coming into the fray, offering the same type of investment, but at a much lower amount. Uh, Bulgaria, which is part of the EU, has a program similar to Malta's, but instead of you investing or you know basically paying the money to the government, not getting it back, in the case of Bulgaria, you're actually buying five-year uh, government bonds. Now they, they don't give you the interest on the bonds. Uh, that's sort of your nominal cost to get into the program, but you get your principal back. So you know you look at a Malta passport, which is considered to be a really, really top passport, but it's, you know, it's a member of the EU. And then you look at Bulgaria and you say, wow, you know, I can invest the same roughly million dollars, but I get my million dollars back. And, 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 and so for somebody who is much more sensitive to the price, even somebody that can write that million dollar check, you know, they're going to be inclined to look at Bulgaria. Um, again, once they have their, you know, Bulgarian passport, they could go live and work in Germany or, or live in the south of France or, or, or whatever it is they want. So, um, these, these programs all tend to, again, reflect the value that the country perceives it can extract from an investor. Um, the UK has a, has a program. It's one and a half million pounds. So again, you're over, Two million dollars in in terms of the you know the kind of investment uh, the U.S. fast track EB five EB two one million dollars uh, so you know more and more countries are looking for ways to give some advantage in some cases it's it's not direct citizenship but it's direct residency that leads to citizenship um, and they're doing it because they the country perceives that they're going to get more for investment by offering that type of program than if they don't offer that type of program. So that's, that's really in a nutshell why countries are sort of competing with each other to improve and offer, you know, better programs to uh, foreign investors. So in your experience um, after doing this for a while, have you seen more countries enter into these types of programs, more countries offering citizenship by investment? Absolutely. I think that the, you know, we don't live in a vacuum. I mean, uh, countries look and see what's going on in their, you know, by their neighboring countries. I mentioned, uh, I was at a program a few um, months ago, actually it was in Dubai where you're based. And, you know, at, in the middle of this conference, the president of Montenegro, you know, shows up, goes up on, on stage to announce the, all the participants, the launching of their new program, because they're looking around at Bulgaria and Greece and, and Cyprus and, you know, countries in the area that are, 
you know, economically benefiting from having a citizenship by investment program. And they're saying, well, well why shouldn't we have that? I mean, I, I think that more and more countries are seeing the benefit and, you know, they, they have to be careful to not be perceived as just selling their citizenship. Um, I think that's, that's the dynamic, right? We have a lot of backlash. We have a lot of uh, nationalism happening in the, sometimes in the exact same countries. Um, so the government has to sort of walk a tightrope. And that's why in a country like Cyprus, you have a maximum 700 people per year that can come through a program like that. Even in the U.S., you know, the, the EB-5s are, are, are all limited based on the, the country where you come from. So on the one hand, the government wants that investment. Uh, but on the other hand, it has to be seen as not just totally you know, giving into the whims of, of every, you know, foreign investor out there. So it, it, it is a bit of a tightrope, but I will imagine that the number of programs are only going to continue to increase, not, not decrease. Well, and I love it from an investor side because I want to be able to shop where I live. And, and this is not actually just from an investor side, but from someone who travels, I want to be able to shop my jurisdiction. I want to be able to shop where I live and look at the sovereignty of a country and the laws and the rules and make a decision for myself what's best for me and my family, opposed to just being born in a country and deciding that that is my fate and I have to spend my entire life there. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, you know, up until the, I guess it was around the mid-70s, countries were very restrictive with the notion of dual citizenship. Um, things started to change and, and most countries now will permit dual citizenship. So, you know, when we talk about getting a citizenship by investment, we're not saying that you're going to give up your home country. So if you come from the U S or Canada or Germany, well, Germany is a different, uh, different example of going to Germany in a minute, but most countries, if you want to get a second citizenship or you come to the U S or Canada from another country and you acquire U S citizenship, they're not going to force you to renounce your your old citizenship. So it's it's more common today than ever, uh, particularly if you're in an organ if you're working with people, let's say from the UN, for example. Every single person you bump into at the UN, they've got two, three, four passports because their mother came from this country and their father came from that country. They were born in this country. They did a citizenship by investment in this country, and it's 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 very normal. And a lot of it is about mobility and freedom, right? You have some passports that say, well, you're not allowed to go to this country. Um, you have some passports that say, if you go to this country, then you can't come to my country, you know? And, and so by having multiple passports, it really does give you the ultimate freedom where you live, where you work, where you travel, where you spend your time. And um, yeah, some people see it as only the, that uh, something that only the, Sort of rich and famous can do, but but that's really not the case. I mean, you you see every day on the news. If you watch the news in the U.S., the the border crisis where you have a lot of undocumented and illegal workers coming across the border, and the U.S. is working really hard to try to stop that. But you know what? They're not at all trying to stop the people that come through legal channels that come to study in the U.S. on F visas or come and get jobs legally through H-1Bs or make investments through EB-5s or EB-2s. Those programs are all 
open for business. And by the way, they're all maxing out every year. So, you know, there's no real slowdown in the number of people coming. And the only element they're trying to stop is illegal immigration. We see the same thing here in Europe, too. I mean, Europeans want investors who can bring, you know, educational skills and, and investment dollars and do things that are going to benefit their country. They're trying to, you know, distinguish between folks like that and, and people who are coming to um, illegals or folks that are coming to basically, um, <clears throat> you know, be supported through their social welfare state. And the European social welfare state is very generous. So, you know, once you come into Europe um, and you're, you're here legally, you know, even if you don't have money or, or ability to invest or whatever, you know, you're, you're basically going to be a pretty major cost to society. Whereas a lot of these golden visa programs that Portugal, Spain, Greece, Cyprus, a lot of the countries along the Mediterranean that have, you know, sort of vacation and retirement potential, they are doing their best to try to counteract the costs of illegal immigrants by encouraging migration of people that do have resources who are willing to pay to invest and, and do things that have a positive impact. And again, um, you know, I mean, Greece was a basket case a few years ago. They started a, 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 a residence, residency by investment program, and you're starting to see uh, Greece turn around economically. Portugal is really booming. Cyprus, where I just spent time, booming. I mean, you have money flowing in there from all over the world and, you know, multi-million dollar condos being built right and left, um, and the unemployment virtually zero. So, you know, it, 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 it makes sense that other countries are going to look at that and say, well, geez, we, we want that too. So again, coming back to the earlier point about are these programs increasing or decreasing? I, I, I know there's pressure to make sure people are vetted properly, um, that it's not used by, you know, gangs and, and criminals and things like that. I think all countries are very cautious about that. You know, if they're going to, if they're going to give their citizenship to somebody, even if they're investing a lot of money, they want to make sure that, you know, they're not making headlines by uh, admitting, you know, some uh, drug lord or, or somebody like that into their country. So, you know, that's one thing we haven't really talked about yet, but the uh, citizenship by investment programs do have pretty stringent um, background checks. And you, you pay for it as an applicant, uh, but they're generally... Um, outsourced to big uh, investigative companies, whether in the U.S. or Europe, that will do complete background checks. I mean, they'll come up with everything and anything, even parking tickets. So, you know, you're not going to hide anything by trying to go through a citizenship by investment uh, program. In fact, just the opposite. You're sort of laying yourself bare to that country and acknowledging everything about yourself. Uh, but, you know, unless it's something really um bad they're 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 not gonna probably keep you from coming in because you have a parking ticket
My new book, Expat Secrets, is based on my own experiences from traveling to more than 100 countries over the last 20 years of being an expat. There is no fluff in this book, just actionable advice from someone who leads this type of lifestyle every single day. So if you want to pay zero taxes, live overseas, and make giant piles of money, then I want you to grab a copy of my brand new book, Expat Secrets, on Amazon today. Just go to expatsecretsbook.com. That's expatsecretsbook.com. So, okay, so then talk to me what is, or I suppose what you have traditionally seen is the type of person that has come in. Is this uh, like big Russian oligarchs? Is this everyday people? What what kind of spectrum should people understand about these um, CBIs? Okay. Well, let me start by just mentioning the folks, you know, you throw out there, Russian oligarchs. Look, there are people, wealthy people in countries around the world. Russia is certainly on that list. China is on that list. Lots of countries in Southeast Asia like Vietnam, where they, even if you make money in that country, you have a very, very poor travel document. And, and so for travel reasons alone, that's a reason why a wealthy Russian or, or Chinese person is going to want to get a citizenship through investment. But, but let's be realistic. You know, there's probably not too many Russian oligarchs or, or, or Chinese business people listening to this podcast. So again, your listeners are people who mostly are coming from the developed part of North America. So why would they want to have a citizenship by investment program? We already mentioned a few things along the way, but you know, they decide they want to live somewhere. They want to invest somewhere. You know, having that kind of citizenship by investment puts them on equal footing with nationals in, of that country. Maybe it's just they want to have a plan B, someplace they can go. For those people, maybe they don't really even need a passport. They just want to have the equivalent of a green card or the ability to go live somewhere. Um, and that's where the residence by investment can come in handy, which in some cases leads to eventual citizenship, like the case of Portugal. Other countries that have special um, retirement residencies and things like that don't ever lead to citizenship. Um, in Belize, for example, it's a country where I spend a lot of time you can um, get an easy retirement residency for foreign investors and treat you very well for, for, for a lot of reasons, but it's never going to lead to a passport. Some of the Middle Eastern and, uh, and Asian programs, Dubai, for example, you can get a 10-year residency based on investment. And as long as you hold the investment, you can keep renewing it. Um, some of the other countries like uh, Malaysia, Thailand, the same thing. As long as you're holding your investment, you can continue to renew your residency forever without having uh, citizenship. So, you know, other people are, again, do it for travel reasons, business reasons, banking reasons. I mean, the, the list is pretty extensive as to the reasons why. But I like your comment earlier. You know, it's, it really is about personal freedom. Um, you do have the nationality of the country where you're born. Um, but, you know, why shouldn't you be able to change that? Um, and, you know, countries like ours, the U.S. and Canada, you know, were built on immigrants coming from all over the world to, to our countries to eventually get citizenship in, in, in the U.S. and Canada. But 
why should the same also not be true where um, folks from the U.S. and Canada can uh, have the citizenship of the country they choose and, and be protected in that country, just like a, a national of that country. So, you know, it, it's, it's interesting, Mikel. I mean, 15 years ago, if I would speak at a conference about asset protection, there were 100 people in the room. There might be one sort of crazy guy in the back of the room that would want to come up and talk to me about residence and citizenship. And now it's completely changed. I mean, if I go to a conference, you know, half the people in the room want to talk about it. There's some people that say, hey, no, I'm, I'm totally happy with, with um, you know, my citizenship and, and I'm never going to go longer than a month or two somewhere to, to visit. So I don't really need to have the ability to, to stay longer, right? Because your residence allows you to stay as long as you want. And most people who travel, if you're working, you, you only travel a week here, a week there, right, on vacation, and and so your your U.S. or Canadian passport allows you to do that. But what if you want to go live somewhere for six months? You can't just go to a country and expect that you're going to be able to stay there for six months or a year or five years or or whatever. So these type of residency and citizenship programs um, allow you to do that as well. Well, I guess my question for this and and this particular question is really, I want my listeners, when they hear this episode, I, I know that people will think in their head, okay, is this for me? You know, is this for me or is it only for someone else? Is it only for the, the Russian oligarch, the Chinese billionaire, um, you know, the, these type of people? And, and I want people to understand that actually people from all over the world in all walks of life, even people from Canada, the United States, Australia, Great Britain, People from our countries are doing citizenship by investment. They, this is a, a quite a normal thing to do, actually, right now. It is not that uh, that one crazy person in the corner of the room, like you said uh, a moment ago. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think that that the groundswell, you know, if if we sort of look at a, it, would be like a bell curve where the, the most of the people in the middle of the bell curve that are getting are looking at these programs. They start with the residency ones because they're cheaper, right? So in Belize, for example, you have to show that you have $2,000 a month in, in, uh, in financial support through a pension or something like that to be able to qualify, but you don't have to make any investment. You know, a country like Panama, Friendly Nation Visa, it's a very nominal investment. And you only have to go there once every two years. So... You know, for the for the people that are at the end of the spectrum where they're concerned about spending money on a program like this, um, but they do fancy the notion of having a plan B or, you know, having the ability to go and live someplace like one of those places, um, you know, it makes total sense. As you go up the, up the line cost, you, you, you have to be able to justify it more and more and more, right? You're not going to just shell out a million dollars for a Maltese passport if you don't have a reason for that. Now, there are, again, reasons for, for people to do that. A lot of people in the world, and I'll, I'll give a, a big caveat, this doesn't include U.S., but a lot of people in the world go to these types of citizenship by investment programs because if they move out of their home country, then they're not subject to tax in that country. And Canada is a great example of that. If you're making, you know, oodles and oodles of money in Canada 
and you could earn that money outside of Canada, well, go live somewhere else. At the very minimum, you're going to need to have a residency somewhere, but you might even want to have a citizenship. So if you move to a place like Cyprus where there is essentially no local tax and then you're not going to pay Canadian tax because you don't live in Canada, well, that's a, that's a great financial solution, right? So we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of the tax incentives and tax reasons that people would do this. Now, for Americans, for U.S. citizens, it's a little different because the U.S. doesn't tax you based on your residence. They tax you based on your citizenship. So you can go live anywhere you want, uh, but you're still going to be subject to U.S. reporting, U.S. tax uh, requirements. There is something called the foreign income exclusion that excludes about $100,000 of foreign income. But if you're a you know a multi multimillionaire earning lots of money, you know saving tax on $100,000 isn't probably going to be the reason that you would um, get a second passport. But if you one thing to keep in mind is that if you ever wanted to contemplate giving up your first citizenship, your home country citizenship, you can't legally do that unless you have another passport. So again, going back to sort of the, the, the planners, the plan beers, um, they are going to want to have a second citizenship in place in the event that they decide in the future they want to expatriate and give up their citizenship. And there are people that do that, including the U.S. Last year, there were about 8,000 U.S. persons that expatriated that, that gave up their U.S. citizenship. And they probably did it for tax reasons, uh, state reasons, um, other reasons too, sometimes political. There was the famous case last year of uh, Boris uh, Johnson, the foreign former foreign minister and perhaps the next prime minister of the U.K., who was a dual national and he got into a row with uh, the U.S. IRS over some property he inherited in the U.K. from his family. And, you know, the IRS was standing there with their handout looking for their uh, cut, and he objected. But I think the taxes played a role in his case, but it was maybe more so uh, for political reasons. You know, he didn't want to be seen as being a dual national going into uh running for the most important political office in the UK. So there's all kinds of reasons. But again, it's not legal to give up your citizenship and become a stateless person. So if you ever want to contemplate giving up your your first citizenship, you have to, by definition, have a second citizenship in place first. So I think I tried to outline a couple of of reasons, you know, we can get down into travel reasons again if you want. We can talk about why, you know, if you're going to pa- travel one week to the Middle East and the next week to Israel, um, you're probably going to need to have two passports to do that. Or, you know, you're traveling to certain parts of the world where uh, certain countries aren't welcome. You know, that's the other thing. Um, we think that we can travel everywhere, but that's not really the case. Sometimes our home country prohibits us from going to a country, and sometimes that country prohibits certain nationalities from entering. So again, it, it comes back to just freedom of choice, freedom of travel, freedom of living, working, you know, wherever you want, it, want to. Well, I would love to dig into that because I'm personally very curious about this. Because I understand, 
you go through immigration, you present your passport, they're going to scan it. It's not just a piece of paper. This is actually linked to a system which probably has a lot of inform personal information about you. Let's use uh, Israel and the Middle East as an example, because I live in the Middle East. I've been here since 2011. Talk to me a little bit about how that would work if, um, if I wanted to go to somewhere like Israel and then come back here to the Middle East. Well, you know, you have a couple different things happening there at the same time, but, um, and, you know, and let's walk through a, um, an actual case. I mean, it's not going to enable you to, for example, get on a plane in the Middle East and fly directly to Israel where there aren't air links, right? So first of all, you're going to have to travel to a country that, that does, whether it's back to Europe or I know that Egypt and Greece and Cyprus and, you know, you probably have to travel to a peripheral country before you can even go to Israel from the Middle East. But now you're in one of these peripheral countries and you want to go to Israel. Well, it probably makes sense to travel there on a passport that you're not going to then turn around the next week and go back into the Middle East. Some countries won't allow you to enter their country once you have a Israeli stamp in your, in your passport. Israel is also very cautious about people coming into Israel that have certain, you know, the, the visa stamps of certain Middle Eastern countries. So it's really just trying to separate the two. And, you know, you're, you're still the same person, obviously, but you're, you're following the technical rules of that, of that country without necessarily agreeing that you're not going to go here or not going to go there. Again, you're, you're, maintaining for yourself that sort of personal sovereignty where I get to decide where I want to go and where I want to travel. Well, I think that's interesting because as you mentioned, it's not really an obligation. Like you haven't signed an agreement saying that you're, and, and just for this example, I haven't signed an agreement saying that I'm not going to go to Israel just because I live here in the Middle East, in the UAE. Um, is that like an implied agreement or... Or am I following the rules by using a second citizenship, a second passport? No, you're you're absolutely following the rules, right? I mean, you're you're keeping yourself from being in a situation where somebody looks and says, "Hey, you're just you were just in Israel last week, and now we're not going to let you in." So again, yeah, exactly. You don't have a contract saying you can't go someplace. So what you're really trying to do is meet the technical requirements of that country. And, you know, you show up with one passport to go to one country and a different passport to go to a different country. And each one looks and only sees their visa, not the other. That's, that's really, you know, as simple as it gets. Is there any other examples of countries or regions or areas where things like this might be a little bit tricky? Well, you know, I, I guess one of the examples that we've seen in the last couple of years has even more so than than travel has been in the financial service sector. You know, essentially in going back to 2010, the U.S. enacted a piece of legislation called TACA or the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act. And, you know, there are a lot of ways that, that individuals and banks in foreign countries can comply with FATCA, but it takes tremendous amount of, of administrative bureaucracy on the bank's part and a lot of reporting on the part of the U.S. Now, if you have a second passport and you're U.S., you know, it doesn't alleviate 
your need or your obligation to report financial accounts you have. So don't think I'm suggesting that somebody can use their second passport to circumvent you know, their U.S. reporting obligations. I'm clearly not. In fact, that would be a very bad thing to do and you might end up wearing an orange jumpsuit if you did that. But from the, from the foreign country's perspective, what, what happened was a lot of them just had these sort of knee-jerk reaction to FACTA and just said, you know what, we're just not going to take U.S. clients anymore. And they just threw out all their U.S. clients because they didn't want to have to deal with, with FATCA. So we saw people wanting to get a second passport specifically for bank opening purposes. I mean, I had a client who had been living in Zurich, Switzerland for 50 years, 50 years. And all of a sudden he got a a note from his bank one day saying, hey, we we have to close your account because you're American and our bank's no longer going to take Americans. And he said, when he first saw it, he just laughed. He's like, okay, well, then I'll just go down the street to the next bank. Well, guess what? When he went down the street to the next bank, they said the same thing. And then the third and fourth banks all said the same thing. And he was eligible for Swiss citizenship because he was married to a Swiss national and lived, had lived there so long. He just never really got around to it. Well, all of a sudden, FATCA forced him to get around to it. And he got a Swiss passport and then went right back to the first bank that was going to throw him out and change his accounts and kept it right where it was. So, you know, there we could probably spend several hours just exploring all the the issues. And so it's not just travel. Uh, but yes, I mean, going back to travel, I mean, Americans, you know, you have countries you're absolutely not permitted to go to. And then you have countries where you're just, you know, sort of persona non grata. You're not really very welcome or it's very difficult to get a visa to travel there. Um, Canada, not so much. Um, but, you know, the, these are all reasons, depending on what you're trying to do. Um, but if I come back to my sort of core client base, I, I think it, it, it's really mostly where I started, which is, you know, people just feel comfortable having some kind of legal status in another country beyond just having the right to enter that country as a tourist. So they can enter because they're a resident. They can enter because they're a citizen. They're going to set up a business. They're going to buy property. They're going to do something. They're going to send their kids to school there. Whatever it is that they're contemplating, having the the residence or the citizenship is going to allow them to sleep better at night knowing that somebody can't just arbitrarily now throw me out, right? I mean, in the U.S. right now, a lot of people are sort of arbitrarily not getting their status renewed in certain instances. So those people would love to at least have a green card, if not, if not a U.S. passport, because once you have that, the arbitrariness of the system is is taken off the table. And it, uh, when I talk to clients that live anywhere in the world, you know, that's one of the things they complain about the most. I can't believe it. Every year I have to go spend, you know, hours and hours and hours reapplying for a new status to stay where I am. And it's so arbitrary. I might get it approved. I might not get it approved. Well, these residents and then citizenship by investment programs completely throw all that out. They alleviate that, you know, you've got your document in your hand, come when you want, leave when you want, and nobody's going to, you know, nobody's going to question you. I think that's a, a powerful thing right there for, for a lot of my clients. Well, I can think in my own life, 
here in the UAE, every two to three years, I have to go back in for to reapply for my residency. I have to do a full medical exam with blood work and um, and checking for uh, tuberculosis and things like this. Like, like some, I don't know if invasive is the right word, but definitely um, affects my 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 time and my energy, and I have to plan around these types of things. Um, and and it is very personal. Um, now. I will never be able to be a UAE citizen. They do not offer it um, to foreigners. But if I was in a country where I could apply for citizenship and do away with all of these things, I think there's like a lot to be said for that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. In, I mean, in UAE, you've got the, the long extended residence uh, by investment program. And I think it it widens that period to something like 10 years. So at least you you know you, you still have the you still have headaches, but there are fewer and far between. So again, these are it's really just looking for an advantage somewhere, right? And um, it's an advantage to you as the individual, and it's also an advantage to the country because they benefit in terms of investment, jobs, um, and and like for example in Latin America right now, what I see even perhaps more so than um, than capital. Uh, which is important. Cap, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, you have relative, you have moderate income and low income countries in in Latin America. But what they need even more than money is they need human capital, and we're seeing that they're doing a lot to bend over backwards to attract human capital, entrepreneurs, young people. I'm seeing more and more people, you know, 20s and 30s going to the to that region. Um, who aren't thinking about retiring or sitting in a rocking chair playing golf and watching the sunset on the Pacific. I mean, those people are, are being um, sought after as well because they don't take jobs and they um, spend money, right? So retirees, that's always been a, a main target with countries like Costa Rica that, you know, 30 plus years ago really set out to go after that market and target them. But now we're seeing that they also recognize the importance of attracting younger people, entrepreneurs, uh, in some way. So a lot of these programs now have a component that makes it relatively easy for people with lower investment amounts uh, to come, particularly if they're going to start a business or or do something productive in the in the country. Well, and I've seen a lot in Colombia and Panama. A lot of those countries are really trying to attract the entrepreneur, the young entrepreneur as well. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, they get it that that one entrepreneur comes in, even if they don't necessarily have big, big bags of money, they're going to do something. They're going to start a company. They're going to hire a few people. You know, one of my clients started a, a business a couple years ago in Panama. Now they have 38 people that work for them and they, they didn't have much they didn't have much money. If the bar had been set that, oh, you have to come and bring a half million dollars or, or some large amount, they wouldn't have been able to do it. So, you know, the, the friendly nation visa in Panama is a great example of, you know, they're basically they're putting a, a sign out that says, you know, we're open for business. Come on in. And if you if you can bring some skill sets or some money or, or anything and and you're going to set up shop and 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 do something from here in Panama. It's only going to benefit Panama. So, uh, you know, I think that was the, the entrepreneurial um, type of mentality that Canada had for such a long period of time. That's being ratcheted back a little bit, you know, just as a response to all the 
sort of the Asian wave of, of migration that, that hit Canada. But for a long period of time, Canada was that way. Uh, Australia still has a immigration system that's based on a point system. So, you know, actually, if you're young and healthy you, and, and you're educated, you, you, you can, you know, qualify a lot easier. Um, if you're older, well, you better have some money. So, you know, they're sort of looking at people that want to come and you better fit in one kind of category or another. Um, and so, yeah, I, I know that you and your program uh, appeal a lot to the to the younger, the millennials and the Gen Xers and, and what have you. And, and I think there are opportunities for folks like that to go get their foot in the door. They're probably not going to get an instant citizenship passport, but they can relatively easily get residence. And, and you know, I have clients and friends that just bebop around the world collecting residences. I mean, you know, it's, if, 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 if Panama is a great example, you only have to be there one day every two years. So, you know, it's not like the old days where you had to spend 183 days a year plus to get and maintain your residence. Some of these programs are very, very flexible. Um, Portugal is one week per year. Um, you know, it's, it, it's possible to maintain, you know, maybe not a ton of residences, but you could have geographically, you know, in, in regionally, one in Europe and one in Latin America and one in Asia probably pretty easily without, you know, and you could still live full time in the U.S. or Canada and, and maintain all of that. So it's, it's, uh, it is something that isn't just for the one wacky guy in the back of the room anymore. It's, it's a very commonplace thing and it, it just goes to personal freedom and mobility. Well, and you mentioned Australia. I was in Australia for three years under pretty much exactly the same type of program, um, living and working there. And that was such an opportunity for me to uh, understand a new culture in a new part of the world, in a new continent. And and I love that opportunity. You know, I went in um, under a working holiday visa, which was, you know, a, a program that was offered to people under their 30s, um, and then was able to stay on um via the point system. But I love those types of programs and being able to live in different countries around the world. And I guess that's really why I started this podcast in the first place is to talk about the economic reasons, um, the investment reasons and the entrepreneurial reasons for people living overseas and working overseas. Well, and it, and it really is win-win, right? This isn't about individuals taking advantage of countries or countries taking advantage of individuals. It's, it's very symbiotic. I think the countries with the best programs understand that. Um, again, just having come back from Cyprus, the the Cypriot government, uh, their you know the people that handle their citizenship by investment program meet regularly, and when I say regularly, I mean like weekly, monthly, with the real estate developers, with the hoteliers. They want to understand well, what is it? How can we tweak this? Change that? How can we make it better? for you guys to attract more investors. They see the private sector as the sort of front line in bringing the, the foreign investor in, and their job is you know, at the government level to give the right kind of support, legal support, resident support, citizenship support, to keep making it attractive. And by doing that, you know, again, their economy is booming. I was talking to some young people there, and they said, you know, a generation ago, everyone left, right? You had a 
you had a conflict between the Greek Cypriots and the Turkish Cypriots and Turkey invaded the northern third of of Cyprus and you know Europe backed and Greeks backed the the rest and you know you have UN peacekeepers and there was economic collapse and everybody left but you know the citizenship by investment program started attracting people to come and invest in Cyprus and you know one thing leads to the next to the next to the next so now the hotels the restaurants the the retail stores they're all booming you have young people who are educated abroad coming back starting businesses it's a it's a huge area for high tech for online type businesses. Okay, so I want to get into the specifics. I want to get into the deep dive. We've talked now for a little bit about the reasons why the country is going to want to do this. We talk about the economic reasons, we talk about the personal reasons and the travel reasons, but I want to deep dive on a couple of countries and and really have a good understanding how these programs work. Sure, sure. I mean, uh, I'd say we could just quickly compare three. I, I would say that Europe is the the most sought after program. So, you know, let's jump into a few of those. Uh, but the the background requirements are largely the same. You know, who you are, your educational background, that you don't have a criminal record, that you have good health, you know, that you have the resources um, to invest into whatever the program requirements are. So those are sort of at the top that that sort of applies across the board to any of the countries that we would talk about. But if we want to look at Europe specifically, I would like to compare Cyprus, Bulgaria and and um, and Portugal. The um, Malta is probably also a good one to just just comment on along the way. But, you know, if I if I start in Cyprus again, that has a relatively high requirement. It's two million euros. But it's your investment in your property, which means you're going to recapture that. And if you buy property well, you probably are going to get a return on investment. In fact, there are developers out there that will actually guarantee you a return on investment. There are developers that will say, you buy this property, we'll rent it for you, we'll pay you 5% return. It's not huge returns, but you know, it's, it's, you, you don't have to worry like, am I going to make money on this or am I not? So I like to say that Cyprus is one of the few programs that actually pays you to get their citizenship because yes, you still have to invest a lot of money, but if somebody's going to give you your um, guarantee that you're going to get your money back and pay you 5% along the way, well, that that's, that's pretty good. So Cyprus is a good example where you go, you would uh, simultaneously work with uh, it, it's generally a developer because the developers will bring in the necessary accountants and lawyers and people that will help through the process. A lot of them will make the you, you put your money into escrow for the for the purchase of the property, but the the actual uh, acquisition will not happen until you've been given a green light on your your citizenship side. So if you said, oh, I'm not sure if I'm really going to qualify, I have this you know, thing I did in the past 10 years ago, they might not want me. Um, you can actually go through the process. Most of them will charge you some nominal fee for to cover their legal expenses or what have you if you're rejected. But if you're accepted, then it's all absorbed by the developer as part of the cost. Um, so again, you're going to do background information you're going to actually buy the property. 
there's going to be a transfer tax involved, uh, or in some countries like Cyprus, it's a um, VAT tax that is, um, in, unless it's in certain areas where it's exempt from VAT tax. But you know that the, that tax on the transfer is is the money that actually goes to the government. The rest of the money doesn't go to the government; goes to the developer who's selling you whatever it is they're selling you. So, in the case of Cyprus. Again, it's one of the fastest programs. It used to be two months. Now you can get your residency in two months if you go down the residency path. But the citizenship program takes now about six months uh, because they just have more due diligence that the EU requires because they are uh, a member of the EU. So it takes six months. That's still one of the absolute fastest um, time periods to get a first world passport um, you submit all the documents. Again, your money's going to stay in escrow until they give the green light. And, and more or less, they're going to give the green light before you actually get your nationality certificate. Um, but within six months, it's all going to come back to you. And um, you're going to get, first of all, the certificate of naturalization that shows you are now a citizen of Cyprus. And with that in hand, you know, you you can fill out the application form and pay whatever it is, 50 euros, um, and you're entitled to to apply for the passport. People really like to talk about the passport, but actually, it's the nationality certificate that makes you a citizen. And but with the nationality certificate, now you can apply for um, a passport. So that's Cyprus in a nutshell. You know, you're you, it's basically the whole process goes quickly, and it's centered around investment in real estate. So if we talk about, say, Cyprus, and we're talking about real estate, and it's 2 million euros, is that 2 million euros for the property, and then plus, 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 like plus legal fees, plus government taxes, plus all these things? Or when we say 2 million, is that all encompassing? No, you you, you are going to pay, you're going to pay some things along the way. Um, and the GST wouldn't be, or the VAT tax is not included in that. So there are some developers that have what are called VAT exempt properties. Um, they are registered before the tax kicked in, and these are becoming more and more sought after. Uh, but you know, having said that, the the um, the VAT tax in Cyprus is pretty low; it's five percent. In a country like Greece, for example, which is a little cheaper than than Cyprus, um, the the Greece uh, VAT tax is twenty four percent. So, you know, it's, it, it's there, you know, and on 2 million, it, it's a, it's a real number, right? 5% of 2 million is about a hundred thousand. So it's not, it's not insignificant, but it's not so much that it's going to, you know, uh, mess up the deal. Then you have to find out, well, is the developer that I'm working with handling all of the other costs? Most of the good ones do, uh, but some of them out there, or if you just, you know, some people say, well, let me just go hire a realtor and have, the, have that person start looking for me. And the realtor goes and finds a, a property, particularly if it's on the secondary market. Well, fine. Um, some people think they can find better value on the secondary market. And maybe that's true. But then you are going to be engaging all the pieces and parts separately. So now, you know, the realtor finds you the property. Now you have to go hire a lawyer separately to work on the on the citizenship side of it, they're going to charge anywhere from, say, thirty-five to fifty thousand euros, whereas the developer on new construction is going to absorb that cost. 
So it's important to, you know, understand from the outset um, what's included. But beyond the beyond the legal fees and the which you may or may not have to pay separately and the um, and the VAT tax, there's there's really no other um, fees. Um, In uh, Portugal, for example, there's transfer tax. It's it's a sliding tax depending on the value of the property. There's an exempt amount, which goes up to a little over 100,000, and then a small tax kicks in and gets bigger and bigger. But the average tax is in the six, seven percent. Again, it's, it's manageable. Um, most of the developers in Portugal do not include the, the, um, the legal fees, although I know a couple that do. Um, and so, again, in, in uh, Portugal, you're going to pay about 15,000 euros of local legal fees to sort of have a good, competent lawyer who's going to you know, hold your hand through the process. In, um, in Bulgaria, we mentioned is similar to Malta, except that instead of um, paying the government, you're actually buying uh, bonds. The Bulgarian bonds are, are triple B. They're just, you know, they're investment grade. They're at the lower end of investment grade. Um, and uh, the interest, the nominal interest would be, I don't know, 3.9% or something like that, which again, you're not getting because the, you're sort of waiving your right to get that interest um, and but you do get back your principal at the end of the uh, maturity period, which is five years. So you're putting up money, getting it back in in five years. Some people would say that in certain countries, you know, the what you pay to buy new uh, construction is overpriced, and then when you go to sell it, you're going to actually take a haircut. I, th- I would say Nevis is a good example of that, right? The four hundred fifty thousand dollar condo that you pay for on the beach um, to get your citizenship there is going to be worth, you know, a hundred, 150,000 less five years from now when you go to sell it. So in that sense, you know, there, there's actually a haircut. Whereas in Bulgaria, you know, you invest, you get your money back and you don't get interest. That's, you know, that's just the cost of the, of the program, but the program centers around the bonds instead of centering around uh, real estate, which makes it easier um, there are some government fees and there are uh, legal fees, uh, but again, in comparison to the cost of the program, I would call them relatively nominal. So that's a that's a quick run through a couple of the programs. Um, I would say that y- you start to see similarities in all the programs, uh, but then each program also has little nuances that make it unique and special and different. Um, Belgium, for example, they don't want you to invest in real estate. They want you to invest in a company that does something productive, um, and basically engages in business and pays taxes that way. Um, so, you know, every country has their own program based on what they perceive as the type of investment they want to attract. Uh, real estate gets a lot of um, popularity from passive investors who live on the other side of the world because, you know, you can own a house or a lot or something like that without being, you know, really engaged in business. Whereas if you're going to set up a company and hire people, well, you, you really have to make a commitment to be there full time. So I think that's why real estate has become the sort of investment of choice for a lot of uh, countries and for a lot of individual investors who come in through these 
uh, citizenship by investment programs. Well, I just think all of these programs are so fascinating. And like I said earlier, being able to shop and, and make my own decision on these types of things, I think is really interesting. And the more countries that become involved in this, I believe the more competitive it will be. And, and it's going to really open up so many options for people because these borders that we have, in a lot of cases, they're coming down. People are more mobile now than they were a generation or two ago. Um, it's, it's not uncommon for people to, to travel all over the world and do business all over the world. So having a second citizenship and having a second passport, I think, is unbelievably important. Well, and I think I, I, to your point about competition, which I love competition, I think it's great. You know, the lowest investment level in Portugal is 280,000 euros. So Greece introduced the program last year. They set the bar at 250,000. The, the most recent uh, entrant to the game, I guess you could say. And again, they're looking around at um, the countries around them, what they charge. When the president of Montenegro came to the Citizenship by Investment Conference in Dubai, basically said, look, you know, we're not part of the EU yet, but we're working hard towards it. And within a few years, we will be integrated into the EU. So here's your chance to basically get EU mobility and EU citizenship at a discount by buying it now through us. So, you know, he understood exactly where his country fit in the spectrum of things. And he couldn't charge a million or 500 or even, you know, two or 300,000. He, you know, was down at the low $100,000 range to get people to say, well, I can see how that's going to happen. And, and so why not, right? I can't afford to fork out more money. Um, so that, that works for a certain segment of the population. Before we close, though, I, I, I just want to also mention that, you know, this is an area where there's a lot of fraud and abuse. And, you know, if you just go and Google this concept on the Internet, you know, you're going to find people that will promise they can sell you a passport, you know, to Germany for $10,000. You know, be, be really careful if it, if it seems or sounds too good to be true. It, it probably is. Um, the, the countries now all require background checks. They all require a certain waiting period. Uh, you know, Cyprus is really pushing the envelope by only being at six months. Bulgaria is a year. Um, the, the ones that you go through residency first and then the citizenship are three to five years. So if somebody's promising you a passport in, you know, a couple weeks or, or, or something that, um, you know, you may have a document that looks or maybe even comes from a, a country's uh, passport office, but it could be, you know, some some rogue guy who's running the machine on Saturday and you're not really, uh, you know, you're not really in the system. You don't really have citizenship. So you have to be really careful about that. I mean, most of those types of abuses happen in the developing countries. Um, Africa is ripe with those types of, of things. So, you know, be, be cautious. I'm not saying you absolutely have to hire, you know, a lawyer, obviously a, a firm like mine, we pride ourselves in, only working with the very legitimate programs, we can point to the legislation where the where the uh, where the law comes from that allows for the program to exist, um, and and then work with local professionals, uh, lawyer colleagues in that country who help work with us and our clients to move through the process. You don't have to do that. Some people love the challenge of of doing it themselves, um, 
And, you know, you're welcome to do that. You're probably going to have a lot of headaches along the way, but you know, if, if, if that's your thing, go, go ahead and do it. But, you know, be very wary of anybody who's coming along and promising you something. If you just pay me this, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have this for you. And, you know, next week, because those people are probably just going to take your money and um, you, you probably aren't even ever going to see the, the promised document. And if you do get it, you know, it's, it's probably not going to be a real uh, passport document that you want to travel with. You know, it's, it's, it could be a forgery. So, so be careful about that. And uh, otherwise, I think that there's, you know, the downside is there, but it's nominal and it can be managed. The upside is really unlimited. It gives you that kind of freedom, versatility uh, to live where you want, work where you want, uh, spend time where you want. And I think that's what, you know, coming back to why do your listeners want to entertain this? I think that's the main reason right there. It's, it's really all about freedom, personal freedom, freedom for your family, protecting your family, having a plan B, planning another flag. Um, you know, we, we tend to live in a, in a world of what's called normalcy bias, where we think, you know, bad things can't happen to us, they can't happen to our country. Um, but if you look historically back, you know, through the millennial, it's never been the case. There's never been a perfect country that was able to, you know, withstand uh, problems and uh, forever. And and so having a, another uh, citizenship is just a way that you can personally hedge against any kind of thing that could go wrong in, in your own country and to protect you in the, in the country where you want to have that, that citizenship so that your rights to to own property, to vote, what, whatever it is that you want to do are, are really well protected. So I hope that uh, your listeners got something interesting and some good information, you know, out of this and, you know, feel free to send them over if anybody uh, needs to have uh, some assistance in pursuing uh, their goals of obtaining a residency or citizenship around the world. Joel, thank you so much for today, because even I, who I've been traveling for 20 years and had residency in seven, eight different countries. Even I have a page of notes here. I've learned so much from you today. So I know my listeners have definitely gotten a lot as well. If people want to reach out to you, if one of these programs really struck a chord with them, if they want more information and maybe a helping hand through this type of process, uh, where can we send them? Sure. Well, you know, we actually have a, a service we call the Personal Global Citizenship Plan will actually work with you to identify the country that's best for you based on your budget, your time frame, uh, your personal interests, the region of the world where, you, where you'd like to be. Um, and people can contact us through your organization or they can uh, contact us directly. My email is law. That's my last name, N-A-G-E-L, the word law, L-A-W, altogether is one word, at AOL.com. Or you can ring my office in the U.S. at plus one, area code 412-749-0500. And uh, we'd be happy to see how we can help your, your listeners. Excellent, excellent. Thank you once again, Joel, for a phenomenal episode. I really appreciate your time. And we'll talk soon, okay? Yeah.
secret gold vaults in Asia, offshore bank accounts in tax havens, investing in timber plantations in Central America, obtaining a second passport, speaking multiple languages, and first-class travel around the world excite you, then you must pick up a copy of my brand new book, Expat Secrets, on Amazon today. Just go to expatsecretsbook.com. That's expatsecretsbook.com. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels.